Yo, this is Pastor Tito here welcoming you to another episode of My Revolutionary Podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today we are doing a deep dive on my last sermon that we did, and it was based on the book of Joel. And in essence, we kind of gave one big synopsis. We didn't go through a lot of the details. We focused on verses 13 through 27 of chapter too. And in this topic and in this sermon, there was a lot that was, there was a lot that was left on the table because man, just you're going to see. Um, there was just so much more that I wish I could have explored, um, but that's what this is for, right? And so we're going to go dive in a little deeper. Now, the whole point, if you haven't seen the message yet, I encourage you to check it out. It's the one right before this, if you're watching on YouTube or in my podcast on Spotify and some other spots. Then what we were focusing on was this idea of the what what happens when unrepentant sin settles in okay that's kind of the issue what we're doing is learning how to be balanced right that's the whole series that i've been doing for lent called grounding as we're examining the foundations of our life and we talked about one of the things that throws off throws us off balance more than anything else is sin and now what we're talking about is really this message was highly directed to christians obviously being a church you know as god is trying to continue to awaken us and preserve us and all those things but This also is related to non-Christians, because if you're a non-Christian, you're already off, right? And that's what sin does. It throws us off balance and leads us, right? It didn't matter if we're trying to run in one direction. That's the whole dizzy bat scenario, right? You run, 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 round and round and round and round. And then when you try to run from point A to point B, if you're dizzy, right, you're going to if you're off balance, you're going to run off course. You're not going to run straight ahead. And that's how we are all born. You know, in our attempts to live a better life in our attempts to be good in our attempts to, you know, try to pursue God, sin pulls us away because we are off balance and we are off course headed towards hell. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus be, Jesus came back to undo that. Jesus gave us or gave us the ability and the power that by faith in him, through the forgiveness of our sins, he sets us right and gives us balance and peace that's rooted in him. And so that was the one thing for non-believers, which is why it's so important to put your trust and confidence in Christ. But Christians, we need to remember that lesson because we can be so we can be thrown off balance, too, if we allow certain sins that we know to be an issue. If we allow them to settle, if we make excuses or like what we use, the, the, one of the phrases that we use was when we put question marks where God puts a period, you're already off course, you're off balance and you're going to be off course. And so that's what we've been examining. And so the cool thing about all of this is as we looked at this was not only repenting, right? Feeling that when we feel guilty, which means that something is off when we feel guilty, that's a warning sign. But also understanding that we may feel guilt, but God feels grief. Like it breaks God's heart when we reject him, when we turn from him to other things. Yet his heart, regardless of how many times, you know, the grief, right, that he experiences, it never stops him from being good. And it never stops his thoughts and and feelings and his love towards you from being anything less but love. And so that's awesome. And so there was a quote here. We're going to use this as our springboard to dive in a little deeper on the importance of what else the Bible has to say, of the importance of understanding the dangers of allowing unchecked sin to remain. 
All right. Putting question marks where God puts periods. And so this is in Joel 2, 13, where we see God's character on display, where it says, tear your hearts, not just your clothes, meaning you need to understand this. You got to feel the guilt and you got to understand that when you do wrong, okay, it's not just recognizing it. You got to feel this. And so he says, return to the Lord with all of your heart. No half-hearted stuff, wholehearted. Why? Because he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disasters. This is very similar to a description of what we see in Exodus 34, 6, where God reveals himself to Moses on the mountain. And that's one of the things that Moses sees as God is passing him, which Moses said, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you better. And he's like, all right, you want to see me? You want to know me? And the first thing as, as God is, which is an amazing story. I want to you know, check it out in Exodus 34. The first reaction that Moses hears and sees is just a write down. Oh my gosh, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful. Oh my gosh, steadfast love. And so this is an amazing sentence here where he says, Joel says though, he relents from sending disaster. And we know that the people of Israel in this time, God sent disasters on them. They're dealing with a ridiculous plague of locusts that have destroyed the nation. And honestly, it, it put the nation on ICU. Like there was no way, according to all logic, that this nation could have bounced back from this because it was just that bad. But yet God did it. He did a miracle, right? And he, he's, a, he's a comeback kid, right? God's a comeback kid. And, uh, but the thing is, though, that we wanted to show you is, and as we're going to look at here in God's word, is that unchecked sin is like locusts, okay? These things, like all locusts do is just consume, 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 and destroy and leave nothing behind. And that's what sin does. All sin does is consume. It, it, when we allow unchecked sin, when we give a door to the enemy by not repenting of a sin that we know we did, but we just nah, don't want to, whatever reason. Listen, all that does is it, it destroys, it eats away. Like locusts eats away at plants and stuff. It eats away at your joy, eats away at your, at your love, eats away at your strength. It just, it eats everything away and it, and it cuts you off from God. And so you're just left with nothing. And so this is not what God wants. And so here's a couple verses that just talk about where Paul and even Jesus talked about the importance of dealing and the dangers of unchecked sin and the importance of having to deal with it. So here we go. Uh, it says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, okay, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person. Uh, listen to that word repay because Joel said, God says he's going to repay. God will repay each person according to what he has done to those who by persistence in doing good, see glory, honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble. And the uh, and then uh, something I messed up here. So the other possibilities that people claiming to be saved yet living. Oh, this is uh, something else. I copy pasted. Yikes. Here we go. So anyway, so we, here we see in First uh, Corinthians five, First uh, Corinthians five, one through five. OK, we see this, that unrepentance is temporary hardness of God. God's discipline will eventually restore them to fellowship. And so that's super important there. So that if our heart becomes hard towards God, God will bring discipline in order to soften that heart, in order to break 
us so that we can experience breakthrough. But you see here that this is super important. Like, man, we're seeing that the more we keep sin unchecked, the more we are playing games with sin that we know we shouldn't do, but we want to now. Right. We don't want to stop. The more we do that, we are just storing up wrath. Right now, there's two things here, because you have Christians who or you have somebody who is unrepentant in their sin is either unsaved or they are saved, but they've become enslaved. Okay, by demonic principalities, forces and and a sin that has settled in. And so this is important. Now, here we see that those who are stubborn and rebellious, who reject the truth of God, are just storing up wrath and God's going to repay them for all the bad that they've done. That's interesting. We also know that Paul says that those of us that when we live our life a kind of way that our life will be tested as Christians, true believers in Christ, their life will be tested. And here God will test it by fire and everything that was done with a heart of love, everything was done that was done by faith in Christ that will remain. And everything that we just did in our own strength will not. And there's going to be a lot of enslaved Christians who there's a lot that they have lived up for if they don't check certain things that, man, they, they spent their whole life doing something. And in the end, it, it was for nothing. But yet they're going to be they're going to be saved by the skin of their teeth. Right. Just barely making it. And so that's an interesting phrase here that we see that God will repay. Right. But in this case, if we choose to reject God, God's going to repay us. By what we owe, right? I mean, by our, not what we owe, this is what he owes us. He's going to repay us, but what we deserve. You know, Paul said that the wages of sin is death in Romans. The wages, meaning that's money, right? If you work, you work for an agreed amount of money, right? You work because for one reason or another. And in what he's saying is that the wages of sin is death. And so if you're going to work at a job and how are you going to get paid? Your wages are dollars. Well, if you're going to sin, your wage is death. That's what you're going to get paid in return. And now that's eternal damnation, but that's also present. Like we can experience a present um, damaging effects. But yet God's grace is so amazing that here he says, listen, what God owes us is his wrath. Yet, according to Joel, we see that when we repent of our sin, He'll repay us, but he'll repay what we don't deserve. He will pay back what has been stolen and robbed and what we've surrendered. Right? Doesn't need to do it. That's why he's so amazing, compassionate, and his abounding love is just so awesome. And so this is super important, guys. As we see also, Romans talks about this as well, where uh, the... Oh, yeah. Romans 2, 5 and 9 just talks about, again, what we do as we we bring about and we live on evil. Right. We choose that. Okay, And that's what we're going to get. What you you know, you're going to reap what you sow kind of a thing. Uh, But check this out for uh, John. First, John 1, 6, similar to what Paul was saying. Now, look what the Apostle John says. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. See, this is a great highlight between somebody who is unsaved and somebody who is saved. Here, this, the John is pretty much saying, listen, you can claim to be a Christian, but if you walk in darkness, like if you know this is wrong and this is God has said this and God said that, but you know what? You just remix everything and you interpret everything according to the way you want in, in order to just kind of affirm your lifestyle, affirm your selfish. Remember what Paul was saying? Self-seeking, rejecting the truth. Like you only accept the version of the truth that matches what you want, right? Listen, he says you lie. 
You cannot claim to have a relationship with God yet walk in darkness. We are called to walk in the light. All right. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is we get everything right. It doesn't. But it but it's a little different. So we're going to get there. So but I think it's interesting that John agrees and with Paul in the same context that we lie and we live out. We do not live out the truth and we live without the truth. And this is an important thing, guys. You got to understand that the longer you hold on to sin and knowingly, remember, this is talking about knowingly. It's one thing that uh, you're doing something that you just don't know. This is wrong or this is evil or it's damaging. Again, Jesus said, God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. But we're talking about, you know, but you just kind of remixed it because you just don't want it to be that way. You want it to be a different way. The longer you hold on to sin, the stronger it holds on to you. You got to listen to that. The longer you hold on to unforgiveness, the stronger bitterness will hold on to you. All right. And you fill in the blank with any other way. The longer you hold on to greed. okay, the stronger it will hold on to you and nothing will ever be enough. The longer you hold on to sexual sins, the stronger it will hold on to you. And that's why when Paul and everybody else says that in the scriptures, we see these words called strongholds, right? A stronghold is a mental thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's you pretty much opening the door to your soul and allowing the enemy to set up camp. But it doesn't just it just, just doesn't set up camp. I mean, it's you know, almost like a Home Alone style setting up camp. If you know the feeling, you know, the movie where they set up they set up camp and they set up every kind of booby trap to make sure that when you want to evict them. No, 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 no. It, it, they're going to do everything, everything possible to fight leaving because they don't want to because they like their new home. That's what happens, guys. The stronger we hold, the longer we hold on to sin, the stronger it holds on to us. And here's the fade where we do something and we feel guilty. It's like we shouldn't have done it. We shouldn't have done. It. I shouldn't have done it. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Then you do it again. God, I'm sorry. You feel that guilt. You feel that grief. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I shouldn't have done it. But then if you don't make certain changes and you don't lean in right towards God, you'll do it again. And then you'll be like, all right, I did it again. You don't feel as guilty anymore. Slowly, you go from, I'm doing this. I did it again. And I don't feel anything. I know I shouldn't be doing it. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. But I'm, I'm starting not to care as much. It is, I don't feel it as much. Then you get to a point. Again, if you keep sliding down here, you'll get to the point that you do it. And you're like, you know what? You went from, I want to change, but I just don't have, I just, I can't do it to, I don't even want to change anymore. I'm kind of liking it. It's, I'm it's kind of a part of me now. And I know I shouldn't do it, but I don't, I don't want to stop. And then the final one is, you know what? I don't think that's wrong anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing it because you know what? It's not that bad. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm still living my life. It's still this. I'm not that bad. That's a dangerous slide because you are becoming more numb to the truth, numb to the Lord, numb to those things. And when you can't feel it anymore, that's a dangerous place. You are now, I would argue that you are enslaved. You are enslaved now, big time, very, very big time. Um, Paul would say in, in places, he says, listen, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
When we sin, we grieve the spirit that is in us. That's one of the one of the ways that you know you're saved is when you do what's wrong and then there's conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to say, no, no, not that way. But but it also grieves the Holy Spirit because it's like if so, if somebody you loved right? Cheated on you. That would grieve you, right? Well, that's what we do. Sin is an, is spitting in the face of the God that loves us. That's what sin is. It is high treason. It, it, sin is worse than any of us can ever try to comprehend or want to even go there. That's what it is. All right. And so we have to understand that. And it says when we don't, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Yes, by, by, by sinning, but we also grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't repent. And when we can't feel that when we return back to God, that's what repentance means. It just means to change direction. It just means come back. And so that is huge. And we have to understand that when it comes to sin, what God was telling Joel and what the spirit tells us and, and the rest of the word is, listen, God doesn't, doesn't want to just turn the page on that action. He wants us to toss the book out. All right. Just toss the whole thing. That's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, cast off every sin that trips you up, that throws you off balance and trips you up, that keeps you from running your race and keep your eyes on Christ, not down in your sin that, you know, again, the dizzy best scenario, round and round and round. Keep your eyes on Christ and he will help you to run straight. He will help you to run straight. It's him, not us. See, that's the thing is it's not, we don't do this in our strength. I know I've been there where I, I, I had that. I had this sin where, I mean, I, there was times in my life when I was very, you know, stubborn and I would do things that were wrong. And I, I'm, I'm telling you this because I've been there. I would do things that were wrong and feel bad about it, ask for forgiveness, but then wouldn't stop because I knew it was wrong, but I also didn't want to. I, I just wanted God to, kind of massage my guilt, not change my nature. I wanted just, I wanted my sin to be covered. I didn't want to be cured. And so I kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. And because out of God's love and compassion, my boy brought the hammer down on your boy. All right. And he brought it down. And if, if at that moment I did not recognize and, and repent of my sins in wholeheartedly in grief, uh, I don't know if I would have had another shot. I think I would have, that would have been, that was a tipping point for me. I think I really would have dove into a greater, deeper pit that I know God could have saved me from, but I don't know if I would have wanted him to. I was close. And, and so that grieving guys, I know what that's like, because I started to see, I started to see that one. I mentioned this on Sunday, probably one of the biggest lies that that's ever come out of the pit of hell when it comes to sin is you're not hurting anyone. See, that's what God opened up my eyes and realized how much I was hurting me, him and everybody around me. And if, if there was ever a moment that I tore my heart and it was then it was to see how much I was tearing at the hearts of those I loved, not wanting to. I didn't mean to. I didn't even know I was and how much I was tearing at God's heart. And uh, I'm, I'm glad he did because I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. And but so what do we do? Let me encourage you. So number one, we got I wanted to just really highlight that in that if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, again, God is not God. I'm not telling you to trust in Jesus so you can stop being a bad person so you can be good. No, because there's only one that's good and that's God. All right. There's only one that's good and that's God. And I'm, I'm just trying to encourage you to tell you if you've ever said the statement that no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. 
you have just condemned yourself before God because now you've just given God a receipt. Okay, because you are correct. You are accurate that there is you are claiming there is a level of perfection that exists that I don't attain to. No one does. Uh, Sorry, there was one. It was Jesus. And he did it so we can get the credit for what he did, even though because we cannot do it. You are correct in saying that. But then don't go to then putting you go from that beautiful statement. There's no one who's perfect. No human being. I'm not perfect. And then say, but at least I'm not like so and so. It's not as bad. You are now calling God, number one, you're calling God a liar. And number two, you think you're calling and acting as God himself, determining right and wrong. You are putting question marks where God has put a, put a period. Really? Is that that bad? Is it really that? Don't go there. All right. I'm not telling you, you know, trust in Jesus so you can stop being a bad person. No, I, like I said on Sunday, no, you're dead and dying. And I'm just trying to tell you, here's food. Like, what would you do to someone who is starving? If someone who is starving to death, what do they need? They need food. And so I would, I'm not going to tell you to, oh, you know what you need to do, bro, is you need to get up. You know, you need to take a shower. You know, this guy's at the point of death, right? At the point of death. And I'm not going to tell you what you need to do is, you know, get up, take a shower, get a haircut, apply, get a job, start working, earn some money. And then that way you can start buying yourself a food, you know, buying your meals and stuff. So you won't die out of starvation. I mean, that's true, but if this person doesn't eat within the next hour, they're dead. They don't have time for all of that. And so in my case, and if that was me, I would say, look, here's food. Here's food because you're dying. And if you don't eat, you're going to die. That's what I'm telling you right now. All right. Uh, the great, uh, I mean, I say great because this guy's awesome. Uh, Daryl Harrison from the uh, Just Thinking podcast said that quote that I mentioned on Sundays. Listen, I'm just a beggar like you. I just know where there's bread. I'm a beggar like you. I'm not. I know I'm a pastor. Doesn't mean I'm perfect by far. Trust me. All right. I'm just a beggar like you. I just know where there's bread and I'm telling you to eat. All right. Eat up. And to eat means to trust your faith in the bread of life, which is Jesus, because if you don't eat, you're going to starve to death. You're going to die in your sins. But Jesus, he gives us life. So I'm not telling you to be, stop being a bad person and be good. No, because I'm telling you, okay, you can experience life. And that's what Jesus offers you. Now, let me just take that and now talk to you Christians. Okay. You've been given access to the banquet of God. You have access to the bread of life. And you're going to try and dive in a dumpster a dumpster that this world offers from for scraps. That's what you're going to do when you have the bread of life at your disposal, when you have the access to God himself and you've tasted the bread of life and you've received life. And from time to time, you're going to dump, go dumpster diving when you have that. Guys, why? Why would you? There is nothing and no one better than Jesus. And if, if you are key, if, if you and I argue with anybody who wants, you know, I, I want God, but yo, I, I still like this. I want this and this being sin, this being the clout that the world has to offer, this being the, the, the highs that the world has to offer for whatever experience from money, sex, power, whatever. Right. Like you want this, but you also want God because, you know, you know what he's done for you. But but you're, you and you know that God is, you know, you're holding on to God, but you're still wanting to hold on to this. I would argue, and I believe I'm right. Any person who knowingly knows who Jesus is, 
claims to know who Jesus is, yet still says, ah, nah, stiff arms the spirit, stiff arms Jesus, and instead chooses something else. If you do that, it's because you still don't know truly who God is. You don't know. And the, the spirit, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can reveal that to you. It's up to you because a lot of times God reveals himself, but we're, at, we're like this. All right. My, my, you know, I'm just covering your eyes. I'm closing my eyes and God's there, but, but you don't want to see it. And then it takes the opening up. It's like open up your eyes and allowing the spirit to re- pull the mask off and see you for what, who you are and see him for who he is. When you A-B compare the two, it's not going to be pretty at first. Okay. You're not going to feel right. You're going to notice that there is a massive difference between him and me, but yet his love wins us over. All right. His love wins us over. And that's what we're called to do. And then maybe listen, you may be a Christian and you know, Christians who are playing this game and, and you're throwing Bible verses at them and they're not listening, right? You're doing this and you're doing that. And they're not listening because you're telling them to do 20,000 things and they're not doing it. So what do you do? How can you treat Christians who are being this stubborn and rebellious? I'm glad you asked. Check out what Jesus had to say. Jesus in Matthew 18, 17, if the person still refuses to listen, this is a Christian who this is kind of like conflict resolution that Jesus offers. See, you know, if somebody has an issue, go talk to him, Uh, apologize or recognize, tell him, hey, bro, look, you hurt me or this and that, bro, you did me wrong. And Jesus said, well, if if in the one on one conversation doesn't work, bring one more person in as a witness, as a kind of like a third party to kind of like facilitate the conversation. If that person still doesn't want to listen, maybe admit that they did wrong or you know, uh, yeah, admit that they didn't run. They don't want to listen to that. Then you bring them in front of the church and you got, I mean, this is for me. Oh, Jesus, bring, yo, bring their business out to everybody inside the church pretty much. Right. And so, and if they still don't want to listen, what do you do? If they still don't want to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he won't accept the church's decision, let's just much pretty everybody in the church saying, bro, you know, you wrong, dude. You, you know, you wrong. You know, you're wrong. If they still won't listen to everybody inside of the church, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Jesus says, treat that Christian as a pagan, a non-believer, and as a tax collector. So how are we supposed to treat non-believers? How do we treat tax collectors? Do we shun them? Do we, oh, God's going to judge you now and send you? How do Christians, how are we called to treat non-believers? It's easy. Let me show you one example here. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, non-believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Your conversations full of grace means love, love, compassion, gentleness, Salt is the the truth seasoned with salt. You're going to sprinkle truth in there. You're not massaging. You're not working your way around the truth. You still got, you know, the truth is sprinkled in there. All right. A little salt, baby, you know, reference there. The truth is the truth is sprinkled on, but it is wrapped in grace and in love. All right. It's wrapped in grace and in love. How did Jesus treat tax collectors, pagans and sinners? He ate bread with them, didn't he? He loved them. He reached out to them. He served them. You know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't affirm these sinners in their sin. Jesus didn't affirm them in their condition. 
Oh, he called them out. He called out the sinners and the poor just as much as he did the rich and powerful. Because we all need the same thing. We all need a savior. He reached out to them and served them, loved them, was kind towards them. And then sometimes when Jesus would be real with them, he'd be like, whoa, you know, kind of stir some situations up. But no matter what, Jesus loved them. Paul is saying the same thing in Colossians. Love them. If you have an unrepentant Christian, you can't beat them over the head with a Bible. Treat them like if they're not saved. They're enslaved. So how can you rescue someone who is enslaved? Treat them if they weren't treat them as if they were unsaved. The only thing that can save them now is them repenting and turning to Christ. That's it. No other nothing else can nothing else works. Nothing else will liberate them other than true repentance. Look, I got some more Romans 2, 4. God's goodness leads us to repentance. He makes that statement. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. Listen, that's what won me over. What won me over is not God's wrathful foot waiting to come down on me. I'm like, you going to repent? You going to repent? You, you, you going you to repent right now? No, it was the fact that it was there. And yes, says, God was still kind towards me. Despite the kind of person I was. God was still kind. His love won me over. His love is what wins us over. Anyone who is truly repented of their sins is overwhelmed by the kindness and goodness and love of God. That's what happened to the people in the prophet Joel, in the book of Joel. He's a gracious, abounding. That's why he revealed himself as those things. And they came to realize we don't deserve this God. And yet here he still is. We have turned our back on him and he still wants us back. Man. There is no other than our God. And he goes above and beyond and repays what we squandered and gives and again repays and restores us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Let me read another one. Second Timothy 2, 25 and 26. Opponents of the truth. Now, these are non-believers and people, sinners who, you know, believers, sorry, who can find themselves acting like non-believers. Opponents of the truth must be gently instructed some of you guys because you know I, I know i've done it too guys i have tried to like be a little extra with christians who are opponents of the truth christians who are trying to hold on to god but they're holding on to this world and they wonder oh why do i feel this way why am i not i don't know i got, why does god not love me let go of it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, can you not see? It's this that's eating away at you. It's eating away at your thinking. It's eating away at your feeling. It's eating away at your truth. It's eating away at your sensitivity. And now it's making you think that God is God's fault. Mm, it's you. Okay. It's on you, bro. It's on you, ma'am. All right. It's you. And so I, I get it. I've been there and I've been harsh thinking that sometimes, you know, it's tough love that, you know, Yes, there's a time for tough love. What did, Col what did Paul say in Colossians 4, 5? Full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you'll know how to answer everyone. Sometimes, sometimes you need to bring a hard, difficult, strong word. But that doesn't work for everybody. Oh, and by the way, full of grace is God. The grace that we can offer comes from the Holy Spirit himself. You and I cannot correct an individual. We can't. 
We can't correct them. It is the Holy Spirit alone that can convince someone they need changing, convict someone for them to change, and then actually correct them. It's the Holy Spirit alone. And so when we talk to people, full of grace means full of the love of God. It is full of him in us. We still got to say that truth, though. Sprinkle with salt. But I love this. Opponents of the truth must be gently instructed, not harshly instructed, gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See what I mean? If you are unsaved, you are enslaved, which is kind of I said, you're either unsaved or enslaved. Uh, let's just be real. Though. You can be both. If you are unsaved, you are enslaved to sin. But you can be a Christian. You can be saved and still be find yourself enslaved. And so what does Paul tell Timothy to tell as a pastor what to do? Gently instruct them in the hopes that God will do it. Notice Paul, Timothy can't do anything else but love them you know, full of grace, season with salt. He can't do anything else but love them and pray that it is God himself that will allow them, empower them, help them, that they will surrender and desire to want to repent so that they can come to their senses. Look at that. I came to my senses when I, I, this happened to me when I was enslaved. I came to my senses and realized, what am I doing? God is so much better. And I keep on, here's the bread of life and I'm dumpster diving. I came to my senses. That's what happened to same phrase that happened to the prodigal son who had a relationship with his father, but yet wanted the things of this world. And here this person is and saying, I want to go live it out there. I was like, you know what? What I what I'm getting from my father. It's not it's not that great. I want what's out there. And he goes out there only to realize he done messed up. He only realized what I had back home, what I had with God in this world, the father and his father, what I had with my father. It was nothing like it. And here I am, and I'm just going to go back. And he repented. He's, the Bible says, Jesus said, he came to his senses. And after he came to his senses, he came home. So I want to encourage you. All right. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit reveals you to you right now and allows you to realize that God is still being kind towards you, despite the kind of person you've become. He is kind and loving and gracious still to you, despite the grief that you have brought to his heart through unrepentant sin. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes, that you may come to your senses and realize there is nothing better than your God, and that you may reject and turn and pray that the Lord not only help you to turn the page, but toss out that book so you can enjoy and run back to your father, knowing that his arms are still open wide, pursuing you. And so I want to finish with this one. Um, I want to finish with this one poem, a gentle application and a quote. Well, it's not a poem. It's a lyric of a song. There's a, series, there's a song called Come Thou Fount, which is a great classic hymn. And in the song Come Thou Fount, it uh, focuses on God as the fountain of life, the source of life, right? You know, again, so now in this case, I'm not just a beggar knowing where to find bread, all right? Look, I, I'm thirsty too. I just know where the water fountain is, all right? So just take that. And so the song, Come Thou Fount, is, is a call for people to come to the fountain of God, but it's also 
telling people, telling the fountain to come to us. It's this invitation. Draw near to the God. Draw near to God and God draw near to us. And so here's what happens. There's this one paragraph that I love, and it says this. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take it. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I love that section because it should look at that. Look at the even in him. He's singing to God and he says, Lord, I know I am prone to wander and I feel it now. I am singing to you and I feel something in me that wants to pull me away from you. I am prone to wander. I feel it in my bones. And then he says this incredible statement. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Like I, I can I can sense even the battle. And he's so, you know, shook that he feels this way. Like, why would I be prone to leave the God I love and that loves me and that there's nothing better? Why? But I know it's here and I feel the pull from this world. I feel the pull from my flesh. So what does he say? Here's my heart. God, take it. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Now, we know this to be true. We know that God, when he has our heart, man, that's it. But it's important to continually do that. Say, Lord, here, returning back to God. God, I'm being pulled away, returning back to God. You know, talking about grounding, right? Making sure we're losing off balance. Now we come back to God, giving our heart to him centers us again, centers our soul. But I want to encourage you and let you know, as you move forward, I, I, I ended with the service saying, you know, listen, let every future failure lead you to fall in love with your savior because we're all prone to wander. We're all going to be prone to make mistakes. We're all going to be prone to, you're going to realize you're going to, sometimes you're going to sin unknowingly and realize, oh my gosh, what did I do? By the way, also, uh, we, we tend to do things without realizing we've ever sinned. Okay. Um, I know that there's, there's Christians out there that believe that, you know, you, we can live a holy life and never sin. Flag on the play. Okay. I'm gonna call a flag on the play. No, because first off, you need to understand what righteousness is, which is right living. Righteousness is doing the right thing at the right time, the right way. Okay. With the right motivation. Good luck. All right. All those doing the right thing at the right time. Every time. Actually, that's a better one. Doing the right thing at the right time. Every time the right way. With the right motivation. I'm just keep on adding stuff. One of those things is off. That's sin. You've missed the mark. See, and there's things that you and I do all the time that unconsciously we didn't even know. We just thought, oh, whatever. And, and that was a sin. Sin is not only doing what we shouldn't do, but it's also not doing what we should have done. Now, do I believe that we can, can grow in holiness? Yes, I believe that we can grow to fall more in love with God and sin less and less and not be enslaved to habits and a cycle of sin. Yes, I do believe that. But to the point that you go, well, I don't even know the last time I sinned. Ooh, anybody tells you that, bro, just like I'll pray for you right now. In Jesus name. <laughs> be careful for somebody like, I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know the last time I sinned. Like I'm the literally the last sin I did. I don't know what I did, but I know I did. I, I, I know because uh, subconsciously, you know, there's just things that I do that I shouldn't have done. And, and the things that I should have done that didn't do, that's a sin too. Okay. All of it is. And you can do the right thing at the right time, but with the wrong motivation, you missed the mark. And that's what makes God's salvation so incredible. We are bigger sinners than any of us realize. 
and thank God that he is a bigger savior than any of us can ever imagine. And so I want to encourage you. You're going to be prone to wander. When you feel it, recognize it, surrender to God, cry out to him, call out to him. But no, God, we're all we're all prone to leave the God that we love. And, and, and that should be less and less. But give yourself. OK, we're prone to wander, but God has proved himself to be wonderful. OK, do not let the slide go too far and keep running back to God. Drink from the fountain. Isaiah 12, one through four. God gave a revelation to Joel about final judgment. God gave a revelation of Isaiah of the resurrection of Jesus. And here he said, and he saw that we, there's going to be a people who undeserving, and they're going to get to call out and cry out with an exclamation point of how good God is. And he says in Isaiah, and I think it was 12 verse three, he says, everyone's going to get to drink joyfully and they're going to get to draw water from the well of salvation because of what Jesus had did on that day. Guys, you and I can draw from the water of salvation every day. So let's draw from the fountain of the Holy Spirit. Don't go drinking in a toilet. All right. That's not what we have when we have the fountain of life. Jesus said, John 4, 14, you believe in me from yourself, from your soul will come a fountain of living water right here. And that's the beautiful thing. We don't got to run to this fountain. You don't got to go to church and run to the fountain. That fountain is connected into your soul. It's him. It's the Holy Spirit in you. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we can drink from a deposit that we have right now. We have it. And that's again, and that's like us choosing to do the opposite. This is, this is like you saying like, yo, I'm hungry and I got a refrigerator full of, I got a refrigerator full of food, yet I'm going to go into the trash can to eat. Guys, no, no, that is not what we're called to do. That is not what we're called to do. And so we have everything in Jesus and in Revelations 21, six, Jesus says, listen, come drink from this water without payment, without payment. Jesus paid for the price already for that. It's free. So guys, I want to encourage you. All right. We can draw near to this well without fear, draw near without fear. And all is made well when we drink from the well of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we do it by faith. And so I want to challenge you guys. If you are seeing unrepentant sin in yourself, if you're putting question marks where God is putting a period, your situation is serious. You need to turn back to Christ. And I pray that God opens up your eyes. If you have brothers and sisters, kids, relatives, anybody that you love, that you see them doing that gentle, kind love, just you need to max out on that. All right. Sprinkle the truth. You bring the truth there, but you bring the grace of God and let him be that. All right. In you. And so then what do you do from here on out? How can we avoid being saved, being believers and not falling into being enslaved again. How can we be saved and not falling in for enslaved? Well, first off, there's one thing that I know a lot of people I've heard people say, you know, we got to remove the temptation triggers, right? If you are triggered by certain things, okay, we remove them. You know, some of these might be relationships. Like my wife made a great point when I, when we were de- de- talking about the sermon after talking about balance, right? One of the things that throws us off is not only sin, but the th- other thing that can throw us, throws us off is sinners is our relationship with unbelievers. When, when we go to them and they give us advice that is not rooted in the truth, it's, you know, and maybe they mean well, 
they mean well, but it's it's not going to lead. It's not going to end well. Right. Because it's not giving us what we need, which is the Holy Spirit, which is God, which is the truth. And so we need to remove temptation triggers. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the certain advice that you're getting from somebody. Maybe it's the music you're listening to, the entertainment that you're listening to. Um, you know, all that's important, guys. Movies aren't just movies and music isn't just music. Okay, we got to be careful. We got to remove the temptation triggers if we know if I'm around this. It's it's setting up guardrails. You know, like why notice it on the side of a road or especially on cliffs, they try to put a guardrail or, or in ditches. They try to set up a guardrail with a good amount of distance before. So if you hit the guardrail, even if you go through that guardrail, there's still a, a buffer zone before you fall off the edge. Don't set your guardrail on the edge because you can easily still fall over. We need to remove the temptation triggers, but here's an important one. We need to develop commitment cultivators. We need to put on the reverse triggers. Like what are things that I can put in my life that will cultivate my commitment with God? What are, what is a habit that I can do? What, what's music that I can listen to books that I can read people that I can surround myself with. I need you and I need all of us need. We need to remove the temptation triggers and we need to develop commitment cultivators. That can be in our relationships and so many things. That's important so that we can guard our hearts, which we're called to do, so that we can continue growingly better and better walk in the light and not in darkness. Because, guys, listen, there's God is so wonderful. Let's stop. Let's stop. If we're thirsty, stop going for the toilet when you know you got to, you know, a refrigerator full of full of water. That's, you know, you got a spring of water in your backyard. That's perfect. And you go into the toilet for drinking. You hungry? Don't, you know, go dumpster diving when you got, you know, you got Uber Eats on, you know, automatic because it's on God's credit card of grace. You know, you can order whatever you want. Right. It's so beautiful. God is so good. And let me just leave you with this bomber quote. All right. This, this fire quote from A.W. Tozer. We have as much of God as we actually want. A.W. Tozer always brings it. We have as much of God as we actually want want. That's a, should be convicting, but also encouraging because that means that there, there's never ending. God is never ending on what he fulfills. And so if you just want more of God, well, ask him. So Lord, I need to want more. Keep pressing in. And the more you encounter his love and kindness towards you, his love for you will give you a love for him, which will then inspire your love for others. All right. If you've had enough of God, that's all you're going to get. But there's so much more. Keep on leaving. You know, don't turn the page. Toss the book and run to Christ. You're going to see for yourself.